Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yoga Land. Hi there, Jason. We're back. We're back. We had a little break while we were, A, having a break. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always like, oh, I had to have a break to do this and that. We had a break to have a break. Um, we and all also, got sick. That was part of it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And also, you and I are officially partnering on our first ever together course. It's true, huh? You, you've obviously had me on the podcast many times. And you have taught meditation and some other small components of some of my trainings over the years. Mm-hmm. But we've never really built course content together. Mm-hmm. So we have been taking a little break to take a break and to build a structured course, yes. which has been super nice. It has been nice. It's exciting. It's called Mind Body Reset, and it will happen in January, so January 8th. If you want to join the waitlist and find out when it goes on sale or just get all the details, we've got them up there right now at learn.jasonyoga.com slash reset. So just to get the housekeeping out of the way. But yeah, it's been really fun for us to craft something. I think we're both thinking about this in terms of, you know, what do we wish we had over the years as we were learning to take care of ourselves, learning to stay in touch with our own personal practice, learning to manage our business, learning to manage ourselves. One of the things that I talk to my teachers about in 200 hours and advanced trainings, and it's always kind of a forewarning. Well, actually for 200 hour trainees, it's a forewarning. And for 300 hour students, it's like, uh, it's a little bit more of a commiseration. But when you become a yoga teacher, your relationship to your own personal practice changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spend so much time, and I, I'm as, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but there's so many things that I teach in training, so many details and nuances and this and that. And I, re, and I remind people through the whole time don't let this interfere with your joy of yoga. Don't let this, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's don't, hard. Don't let the details of revolve triangle pose keep you awake at night. And so I think I think both of us have have really had this pull of doing, I don't know if this is the right word, but it's what's coming to mind. It's kind of like a a softer skills training experience where it's it's really about coming back to your practice. Oh, it's about self-development. And self-development and and using that to organize and structure your content and just kind of pull yourself together. I think as all yoga teachers, we're using our practice to kind of like pull ourselves together. Certainly I am. But yeah, I'm excited to create a course where, you know, I'm not going to say the head of the femur or the the acetabulum once. (laughs) That's exciting. Yeah. 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 That'd be completely different. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk through part of the way that we structured it. So so it's over four weeks. We decided we wanted it to just be like a new year reset, get yourself together for the year to come. And each week there will be a theme. And all of the practices, the meditations, the yoga, the sort of prompts and worksheets that we provide will hang around the weekly theme. So we created these weekly themes because we we thought, what are some 
life skills and inner skills that yoga teachers could use in their toolkit to help them feel better as they navigate being a yoga teacher and help them feel more confident? When you're a yoga teacher, there's so many things that you're teaching, but if you're a teacher, step back and as much time as you've learned about sequencing and anatomy um, and some other details and techniques of the practice, deep down you know that there are real like quality of life off the mat skills that we're all looking to develop, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's really what the the four themes really entail. It's just uh, they're anchor points or they're part of the macro structure for us to remind ourselves as teachers how important these aspects of our personal development are. Mm-hmm, right. So the four themes that we'll talk through today are self-compassion, self-awareness or self-study, self-regulation, and self-direction. Okay. So I'll just jump in. We'll start with self-compassion. So I always like to, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know this is one of my favorite topics. And it's a favorite in part because I think it's really difficult for most of us to do it. And I think it's incredibly helpful uh, in in helping you just feel happier with your day-to-day self, right? Like we live in this body and in this mind, and there's just so much self-inflicted torture that we do on a day-to-day basis that we might not be aware of. So self-compassion can really start to help you shift that. I like to talk about self-compassion by starting with just the simple Buddhist definition, according to the Buddhist teachings, which is of compassion, right? So compassion is very simple. It's when you wish for another being to be free from suffering, regardless of how you feel about that being. So that's tricky just to start with, right? Like we might have compassion for our loved ones, but like, do we have compassion for our neighbor that parked in a weird place or, you know, did something annoying to us? Or So compassion asks that you sort of maintain this, this spirit of kindness toward other beings. Self-compassion is the same thing, just directed toward yourself. And the main uh, researcher that I'm aware of for self about self-compassion is Kristen Neff. And she has like a three-tiered definition of self-compassion. So it's being kind to yourself, understanding that your behaviors are normal and common instead of feeling isolated, and then having a mindful, balanced reaction to adversity. So these are just qualities that are really ripe for practicing in your meditation practice, in your yoga practice. And it starts as simply as noticing when you're berating yourself for one reason or another. And then the next step is remembering that, you know, this is normal human quality to do. And then responding in a way that is thoughtful and mindful. And I also just want to say, I think that this is something that's counterintuitive for, especially for Westerners. I mean, we were talking about this before and you're like, no, it's counterintuitive for everyone. But 
especially for Westerners, one of the things that she studied was the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem and the outcomes in teenagers. And, you know, for our generation, we were really raised to be taught, we were taught that self-esteem was kind of the the holy grail. Like, you want to have good self-esteem. You want to raise your kids with good self-esteem. And her studies found that um, that was not the predictor of happiness, that that's people who were more self-compassionate toward themselves had increased happiness, optimism, curiosity, connectedness, and decreased anxiety, depression, rumination, and fear of failure. They were more open to receiving feedback and then making adjustments, right? Because when your sense of self-worth is dependent on your self-esteem, you don't want anybody to criticize you. You don't want anybody to tell you anything's wrong because that would affect your self-esteem. But if you have a high regard for yourself and you can, you have like positive self-talk and someone tells you, you, you points out a, crit, a fair criticism, you're more open to that criticism. And then the last part of the, the studies that I thought was interesting was intrinsic motivation. So, so the students who were practicing self-compassion were more interested in learning like for their own internal reasons rather than being pushed into learning. This, this thing that you're bringing up, I, I've thought for so long, I, I think that self-compassion is really required for self-study. It's a necessary precondition because if you don't have, if you don't have a willingness to accept and to work with and forgive and to accommodate some of the things that you see within yourself when you inquire, you might not look too deeply, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because the human condition is really complicated Mm -hmm. and we're a complicated species and everyone has some some challenges within. As a yoga teacher, this is very top of mind for me right now because I'm now five weeks into a 200-hour teacher training that I'm teaching. And the vast majority of people in this training have, have never taught. You know, a lot of times people join this the 200-hour training and this, they've, they've, they're shoring up their skill set. They've, they've been teaching for a while, but there's a lot of really raw new people. And, and I'm, I've been telling them from, the, from day one, when I gave them the opening monologue, I said, I can't make you feel any way. Like how you feel is it's how you feel. But if I could make you feel any way, it's comfortable. Because you're going to get confused, you're going to get lost, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to do it in front of other people. And I think that's an interesting little component to the self-compassion aspect as a yoga teacher is the little flubs we make are in front of other people. Mm-hmm. The, the confusion that we make or whether or not we say something that feels clear or whether or not... You know, I, I, w- I was kind of joking with students lately saying, you know, you have no idea how scared teachers are that we're going to bore you. You know, like we, we are so afraid of being boring and not and it being too easy, too hard, too fast, too slow, too hot, too cold. And I think, I think that the, the, the real key for me that stands out with this narrative of self-compassion is the need for it because of the, the public-facing aspect of 
this job. And anytime in, in when we talk on a podcast or in social media or in training where I bring up, hey, as a yoga teacher, you're doing this live. So try not to read in too much to the little mistakes that you make. Try not to read in too much to the little facial expressions you give or people, people give you. Just do your best to actually communicate as well as you can and then let go. Like, and if you had a difficult class as well as you can, have compassion for it. Not, not, you know, not every day do we feel completely on our game and clear and lucid and compelling. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of process of coming inward and saying, I've taken on a complex, challenging role. I am putting myself as a yoga teacher, I'm putting myself right in the midst of the human condition and trying to help people navigate it more skillfully. I think the the more we can have compassion for ourselves and, and go through practices to continue to support that, the better because I, I think we need it. I think yeah. we're going to continue to need it. Yeah, and also I, I think thinking about the fact that humans, just like when you see someone riding a horse, like we've seen this, our daughter rides horses, and so when she rides her horse in practice, it's like everything is smooth, she feels calm, she's in her familiar place, the horse behaves and responds beautifully. And then when you go into competition and she stiffens just the tiniest bit, right? I can't see it at all, but the horse can and the horse stiffens and the horse doesn't respond. And it's the same thing with people. Like we we read each other's limbic systems. Yeah. So so if you if you're a yoga teacher walking into a room and you walk into a room with a sense of of self-compassion and generosity toward yourself like people feel that and they will take that on for themselves yeah and you're just you're in a it's kind of a I don't know you're in a softer place like I, I think I think teachers understand like the tonal quality of how you feel within your own body when you're teaching and if you're in a softer place you're going to enjoy it more. You're going to relax in, settle into it. When you're in a little bit tenser place where there's like, okay, this better go well because, <laughs> right? I, I wrote out this whole sequence yeah. and I hope it's great. Yeah, when you, don't, when you don't have that sense of spaciousness and softness with yourself when you teach, you're going you're gonna, to um, press Mm-hmm. It's gonna. You're gonna get more tense. You're gonna press. You're gonna be more outward facing. You're gonna be more volatile. Mm-hmm. So really, kind of baking in for me. Self. I, I think the last thing I want to say on this topic is self compassion. For me, is less of a thought and it's more of a soft feeling. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very. It's a very. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling tone. Yep. 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 I, I always say, like in meditation, it's like practicing responding toward yourself uh, by turning toward yourself, right? So like so often when we meditate, we notice like unhealthy thought patterns or we just can't seem to get the technique down or we're like in it and then we're out and then we're uh, and then uh, and we just respond like, I can't do this, right? Yeah. But it's that turning toward yourself with a little more gentleness. Like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay, so the second theme is 
self-awareness or self-study, which all of us who practice and teach yoga are incredibly familiar with, but it still warrants consistent practice. Do you want to say something? You look no, I, I just, I, I self-study is so baked in, not just from, uh, not just from the aphorism in Patanjali about Svadhyaya, but it's even baked in because we were just talking about sensations. This conversation is going to go down a slightly different road, but we are already studying ourselves when we're feeling how the hands, how the base of the fingers press the ground in this pose yeah. or how the top of the thighs go mm-hmm. back. Like we're, we're, yoga is just such a, it's such a, a superb environment for self-study because on a physical sensory breath level, we're already really tuned into it, right? And I think that that's a big part of what I and so many other teachers help try to facilitate is self-study and self-awareness through embodiment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that that's all that was coming up. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what I love about this practice of self-awareness is that yoga facilitates it in so many different ways. Because like you said, you're you're starting with literally just connecting your mind to what's happening in your body, which most of the day, even for you and I, we forget. And so it's just like this beautiful returning to like, okay, I'm paying attention. And then how can you extend that to paying attention to what's happening in your mind, paying attention to your own patterns of reactivity with your loved ones, or your patterns of reactivity with a certain student, or your response to when challenge comes up in your life. I've I have shared this anecdote in in a slightly different language. I had I literally had no idea what self-talk was until I started doing yoga and like learned about it. But I had no idea how negative my self-talk was until weirdly I started doing yoga. Mm-hmm. Because it was kind of in that environment, I got really frustrated really easily with how stiff I was. And I, like in all the other physical things that I'd ever done, I wasn't necessarily good, but there wasn't any, they were such dynamic endeavors that there wasn't any time during the process for reflection. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started doing yoga and I was in down dog for what felt like 45 minutes, I was like, I hate this. I'm tight. I'm weak. I don't look good. Blah, blah, blah. And I and it was in this environment that I was like, oh, I I didn't know that was within me. Mm. And I think it didn't make it worse. It was like, oh, maybe this isn't so helpful. You know, I think there's something very implicit to this process where we are we're a little bit more alone with our thoughts and our feelings. And this gives us time to see them and mm-hmm. see them clearly. Yeah. And that's also, again, why I was saying, I think that the self-compassion is, is such an important precondition mm-hmm. for this self-reflection. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think, you know, just two more points to touch on. I think what's what we can kind of, return like visit and and return to again and again in this program is the idea that we're we're wanting to bring you back to your own practice. So self-awareness is another step in that because it helps you to like you said you were never aware of your inner self-talk. I was never aware of 
just my general physical constitution, right? Like mm. I was never aware of just it's, it sounds so silly, but just like my need to nap, right? <laughs> but just like I need a lot of downtime. I need yeah. a lot of recovery time. And I always was practicing Ashtanga when I when I started yoga. And so I really thought there was only one way to do it and only one way to practice. And over the years, it's just been such a welcome treat to remind myself like I can just do, you know, 10 minutes when I wake up in the morning and feel so much better throughout my day. And then if I have more time to practice, I have more time. But just get, gaining that self-awareness so that you can respond skillfully to yourself helps a ton. I, like I sometimes comes up, I played hockey for many years, 15, 16 years. And once in a while, when I'm in a conversation with someone and someone finds that out, they'll say, oh, do you still play? And I have two, my answer is no. Um, and there's two reasons. Number one, being in a, being like an old, being older and playing hockey means like midnight on a Sunday, like men's leagues are like adult leagues are so late. But the other, the other thing, which is more important to the point is midnight, which is probably Jason's midnight. It's like girl math. Jason's midnight. Is no, it's actual midnight. 7 PM. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, yeah. I'm still on uh, East coast time. No, but the other one that's that's is 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 more to the point is I don't know how to do that thing in a regulated way. I don't know how to do a more mild version of that thing. Mm-hmm. It, that's an, I have no relationship to it. For that particular sport because I think the nature of the sport and how I played it and when I played it, it is full on or it is not at all. Yeah. And and when I came to yoga, and I, I struggle a lot with it, but I actually started to see really early on in yoga that if I had a lot of energy one day and I, or a lot of stress and anxiety and I had a lot of fuel to burn, I could work more. But if I didn't have much fuel to burn, I could work less. But I, I could show up like the nature of this practice, or at least my relationship to this practice, is much easier to regulate tone, tempo, intensity, duration. So it's always there for me. And I, and I feel like, I feel like this is something that I always, as a a teacher teaching teachers want to help people with is say, listen, just because you teach like a really strong vinyasa flow doesn't mean that today you have to do a really strong vinyasa flow to practice. It's not today you do a strong vinyasa flow or nothing. It's Today, maybe you have a yin practice, or today, maybe you have a restorative practice, or today, maybe it's 10 minutes of pranayama. Maybe that's actually what you need. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 built into this is a um, when you have this greater self-awareness, you have a, an increased capacity to respond and meet the moment, and that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. That takes a, That's a real craft. But what better craft to try to learn to ourselves and teach others than how to be more responsive to what's need, what what's necessary in the moment. Right. I mean, it's kind of everything. Yeah. Surviving this life. Yeah. With any sense of grace or ease, a, a small percentage of the time. Yeah. Not to be unaspirational, but <laughs> okay. You're gonna so go take a nap. The other thing. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention about self awareness is, you know, I think we want to invite in this program that we're doing, some self-reflection on your own strengths and challenges as a teacher. 
And like you said, if you're starting from a place of self-compassion and being an ally to yourself, you, we we think, you know, it will be a fruitful endeavor to to think about these things and actually to focus on some of the positive. Big because time. how often do we take the time to do that? I'm going to give an anecdote, okay, that I think is so important. I can guarantee you right now, somewhere on Instagram, there is a post. I do not know this to be the case, but I can still guarantee it. That is That says like, when you teach yoga, you absolutely cannot demonstrate. If you demonstrate, blah, 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 blah. And I guarantee you there's another post that says the opposite. When you people are visual, you have to demonstrate. One of the things that I realize is everyone will become the best yoga teacher they can possibly be when they figure out what works best for them in this job. And so for people that feel more comfortable and more focused and more clear and more grounded demonstrating, they should demonstrate because they're, they know themselves well enough to execute the task in a way that works best for them. For someone else, like usually me, I'm more verbal and I'm more visual. So I don't actually like to practice that much. I mean, I do it all the time because I'm, I'm recording stuff all the time. But if we're in the same room together, I'm more visual and more verbal. So it's easier for me to not practice. Like so you can see your Yeah, students. I can see my students and I can kind of respond. Um, and then along the same, same lines, what degree of class planning? Well, it really depends. And the example I bring up all the time, and again, with the 200-hour students, I bring up the example of Elena Brower, who, to my knowledge, still, or at least I've seen her on Globe plenty of time, bring a notebook, mm-hmm. right? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like She knows herself well enough that she's going to set up the classroom in a way for her to execute that classroom as well as she can. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I had a notebook, I'd be like, I, A, I'd lose it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd like lose it under my mat and then fall over. It'd be like a <laughs> first be like a skit. First, you'd lose your glasses. Yeah, and then you and then so then you'd have to ask someone else to read the notebook for you. Yeah, yeah, I'd be and then I'd be like, "Why are you being so loud?" But I but the point I want to make on this is, as a teacher, you will be the best teacher that you can be when you figure out what your strengths are and you roll with them. Mm. You And you you actually have to lead with your strengths. There, there's all sorts of scenarios where you want to shore up your weaknesses, but you have to make sure that you really understand your strengths and lean into them really heavily, which means you have to experiment with different things and not worry so much about the technique of the education. You have to figure out what puts you in the best place to provide the education you can provide and go from there. Mm-hmm. And that only comes from self-awareness. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Next theme is self-regulation. And I would say this is the one that is least directly tied to yoga. And I would also say that this is the one that you and I have have cultivated in our own lives the most over the past 11 years of being I, parents. I'd say it's the one too that we had, that because of your and I's nature and constitution, it's the one we have the least choice in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you and I really need self-regulation mm-hmm. because we're not the most 
Well, our, we're, we have primed nervous systems. Yeah, that's a yeah. way to say it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sensitive nervous systems. So so there's lots of definitions. My definition is, is when we're thinking about self-regulation is we're thinking about how we cope with stressors. Um, you know, it, stress exists. Stress will always exist. Stress can be toxic if there's too much of a certain type of stress response. Stress can be motivating and it can help us to grow. And so what we want to look at is, again, like what's in our toolkit and what are the coping mechanisms we can develop to manage our stress that are not maladaptive coping mechanisms? Yeah. So again, such an easy tie over to, to yoga because hopefully we end yoga class, asana class, with the relaxation response, which is a fabulous way to mitigate the stress response. And it's not something that just crops up in your day-to-day life in the in the life that we live in. So so we'll look at the relaxation response. We'll also look at the challenge response, which was coined by Kelly McGonigal, who's a psychologist, which is really where we view stress as our body's way of preparing to solve a problem or to do something we're excited or nervous about. So so, so an example of that would be like if I have to do any public speaking I am like a wreck. I mean, I could go in full on panic mode. So what I really have to do is tell myself that the energy that I'm feeling is you're smirking. You know why? Because what I'm thinking about that we're going to do something next April <laughs> together. Well, it really. De- well, anyway, I'll have yeah. to tell okay. myself that the energy that I'm feeling is that is really excitement. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it is. Because it is. It's, it's really I, huge. I, I've panic. understood this from you. I only panic because I'm afraid I'm not going to do a good job, and I really yeah. want to do a good yeah. job. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. I need to get over that hump and kind of harness the the hormones that are starting to pump and and use my cognitive skills to get through that. So there's just so many different things to talk about with this that I get very excited about because I do think that as we're moving through these themes, this week is another week that can have just such a huge effect on your, not just your teaching life, but your day-to-day life. The thing that comes up from for me in the, uh, with regards to self-regulation and being a yoga teacher, the, the big thing that comes up for me is that in order to teach a class, I guess I'm trying to beat around this this reality because I don't want it to sound bad. I am as calm, grounded, clear, and focused as I can possibly be when I teach, but I don't think I've ever taught a class in 25 plus years where there wasn't greater adrenaline while teaching than before and after teaching. There's kind of an... Teaching yoga is not performative, but there's a performative component to it in that we're in front of other people yeah. and we're and we're talking and unless you are just an extrovert right if you're an extrovert and talking to a lot of people or talking to one person is equal is like provides you with energy that's one thing 
But I think that the majority of yoga teachers are like me, we're, we're a little bit more introverted. And so the very nature of talking to anyone, let alone talking to a group of people, requires an uptick of our chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like our inner knobs have to be like turned up. And so, and so what this means for me in terms of self-regulation is th- that that also needs to be turned back down. So we have to have, we have to have a practice or a setting or an environment where if you want, if you are an introvert, you get time off the clock that actually really feels off the clock that you get, that you get quiet, restorative spaces. And I think, I think it really took me a long time to under understand this. I've also taught an incredible amount of volume over the years. And, you know, for the most part, I have, a, I have good energy. <laughs> I like to think I have good energy. I have good energy when I teach, even if it's like a 12-day a, a intensive. And people will come up and be like, oh my God, I don't know how you do it. How do you have the energy? And I laugh every time I'm like, I pay for it later. This is a credit card. I pay for it later. Like I'm in front of you now. This is real. I'm doing my job. But as a teacher, you don't have a choice. As a student, you can kind of, if you're tired, you can kind of like space out or kind of go elsewhere or, you know, be in child's pose for a day or start fussing around. But as a teacher, you can't, you can't unlock that focus. It has to be there. And so there's a certain amount of, chemical debt <laughs> that you can go into to stay up to teach that volume. I think a lot of I think most teachers probably identify with this. That makes it that much more important that we have things in our lives that that nurture, mm-hmm. that that fill that um that fill that that cup back mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And also if people are following the Jason Crandall method, you just never go out past 6 p.m. Six six thirty. That is that is that's it, right? I should write a whole lifestyle book. <laughs> you should. Oh my god, you should. And in that lifestyle book, <laughs> then I'm gonna just I'm gonna just before we get to the final one, I'll give you a cliff notes. Okay? okay, have a very small social circle. <laughs> very small. Mm-hmm. Keep that socialization to under. I don't know, two to three hours a week. <laughs> this is not healthy stuff. <laughs> All right. Never break routine and be in bed by eight at the latest. I'm going to add one, which is practice the Irish goodbye when your spouse does make you go to a giant uh, Thanksgiving fest. I, I have said this so many times. I actually, I feel proud. I have taken the mantle of being the person that breaks the ice when it comes to leaving a party. I'll be, because you know, and honestly, everyone, everyone, that's not, not everyone. true. Let me, let me, that's why I just, I, okay. At least 50% of the people at a party want, not the whole time, but there's a time yes, there's at a which time. 50% of people at that party want to go home, but- <laughs> Someone hasn't left yet, which is why when someone leaves, 50% of the people always leave. I'm the person that leaves. You're welcome. You can Venmo me a tip. I'm also the first person that's like, okay, 
I'll be the first person to serve myself. Let's eat. Well, I am that person too. Yeah. Because people get so shy and weird yeah. about it. And I'm, Italian, I'm not so shy about those things. No, I'm not shy about that. But I will tell you that I ran into our neighbor today. Yeah. Who I ran into Joe, who we went to her house. We had our own Thanksgiving with our quiet family, extended family. And then they went home. And then we went, I made, I made the, my, close family, go to the neighbor's house because I love her and I wanted to be neighborly. And we brought pies and she had 35 people at her house. I was very proud of you both for coming. And I didn't even notice that you did kind of a quick goodbye. And I don't know, Joe brought it up. She said, oh, it's so funny because I'll just talk on and on forever. And Jason was like, okay, it's time. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, you're lucky he even yeah. said goodbye yeah. and didn't just walk yeah. out the door. Yeah. She said, I don't mind. My dad is the same exact way. Yeah. But oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So yeah. that's Jason's lifestyle book, The For End. Sure. Yeah. I think we're done with it. Okay. <laughs> I'll teach it as a course. Well, actually, you can also tell one more quick thing, which is that you basically... Can I like I was? I knew I was in love with you before we started dating. Before there was any chance of us dating, when on a Saturday night, like a bunch of us were going out or something. I think we were going to my friend Andrew's show, and I asked you to go, or a bunch of us asked you to go, and you were like, "Yeah, no, I'm gonna go home and take a bath and read a book." Yeah, that's (laughs) he was 27 years old. Oh yeah. For sure. And I was like, I love this man. This all actually gets back to self-regulation, all right. FYI. Yes. I can't deal. Well, that's the thing I was going to say is that you pay for it later, but you're also very, very good at conserving your energy totally. around your schedule. Have to. Yeah. And that's that's the practice. And that's, that is, you're, you are very boundaried with that, which I think is good. I mean, I think you'd go crazy otherwise. Okay. Last theme, self-direction. I think when we were uh, dreaming up the course, we were thinking, okay, we've we've given them all of these soft skills, but we know that it takes a lot of you know self discipline and showing up for others and showing up for yourself and marketing yourself and you know crafting your curriculum. It, it still requires a lot of internal motivation, which is how we came up with this. Last category. There's, there's like, um, there's, there's an important but difficult to identify sometimes relationship between your self practice or your personal practice, and then your like converting that into your profession, into your role. Like, oh, I just took this class with my teacher. I really love it. They were teaching twists and arm balances and talking about compassion. Now I I want to include that in my classes, right? So I think one of the things that that we all that you and I are sensitive to is wanting to help people be a little bit more structured and a little bit more organized and a little bit more focused in their job, in their career development, in their livelihood. And it's and it's not it's not easy and and kind of having your own practice, but then also the reality that that practice is sometimes like the research and development of your own classes. We wanted to have this component where we're giving some, some structured process and ideas for, for making that happen. And I think another thing that comes up for me when it comes to self-direction is 
And I feel like I've shared this anecdote too, but I'll, I'll share it again. I had this private client, Jeff White, who was it just an, still is an amazing person. And, and I, I had him, I saw him 90 minutes. I did 90 minute sessions three days a week with him for years. And he was a very successful CFO. And one day I said something about being a yoga teacher. And he's like, you're not just a yoga teacher. And I was like, well, I know I'm not just a yoga teacher. He's like, you're an independent business. Like you are an independent business. You you are the whole thing. And it and it really it got me to reframe my entire approach. Like that one thing he said, it got me from thinking like, I'm just gonna show up and teach a class. I'm gonna show up and teach a class hundreds of hours a month or whatever it was. I'm just gonna show up and teach a class. It got me to thinking, no, I am the CEO, or I am the general manager of me. And that that doesn't mean that I need to or want to become like it's a, a business behemoth. <laughs> no. But but even as a as an independent contractor, I had to start to think about myself. I had to almost like externalize myself um, and think like, okay, part of my job. And the, the, the part of the job that I love is being in the room teaching. But that is, in fact, not the totality of my job. And I have to do all of the other parts of my job better. Like, I'm good at the yoga teaching part. Not everyone loves me, but if you get on with my personality and my sequences and so forth, I'm good at doing what I do. But I wasn't very good at strategic planning. I wasn't very good at sequencing excuse me, I was good at sequencing for one classes, but I wasn't very good at curriculum development. I wasn't very good at workshop development. I wasn't very good at teacher training development. I didn't know the best ways for me personally to spend my time as a business. So I had to really, I had to really think through and, and really put myself into a different internal role where we had this self-direction. And I feel like not only is that something in my trainings I, I want to do, but it's a specific component of this because I think there's also another part of us, not, not for everyone, but I think, man, this is a huge generalization, but I, I feel like a lot of yoga teachers are not only introverts, but kind of like, we have like, many of us have kind of an artistic temperament. And I think that some bit like alterna kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that sometimes we can feel bad or feel guilty, not just about like trying to make money, but like trying to be like, I am a business. Let me figure out how to actually operate myself like a better business mm-hmm. that has strategic thinking and strategic planning. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that I really want to help people to step into that role and to be more proactive with not only their their practice development and their their self development but their dharma right the actual process of how do I focus and organize and structure the business side of my equation? Because I think this is a really important, like having, 
If you want your yoga teaching to be your livelihood, you have to actually treat it like a livelihood. Mm-hmm. You, you, can, you can't be passive about it. You can't just kind of show up. Mm-hmm. You can for a period of time. And so to me, this self-direction or kind of self-actualization in a way is more the career coaching, strategic thinking, strategic planning process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good overview of four skills we think are very important to master for your teachers. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. If you are interested in learning more about the course, you know, the duration, how it works, all that jazz, you can go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash reset. We'd love to see you. And as always, thanks for listening. And until next week, enjoy your practice. 